Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Cindy and Chrissy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with changing the ideals and expectations of motherhood. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about. All while hanging with your mom friends. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Mama Needs a Moment. In this episode, we are speaking with our friend, Susie Silver. She is a former art teacher in the public school system where she worked for 18 years. She's a professional artist, mom to two children, activist within the LGBTQ community, and a senior consultant at the diversity movement. She's also a truly wonderful person. She blushed a little bit when I called her an influencer within the episode, but it's an accurate title for her. The diversity movement is often abbreviated as DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a full service consultancy that includes a team of experts that use a customized mix of online learning tools, events, and consulting services to show businesses and teams how to use DEI practices to drive growth, improve recruiting, and enhance culture. We're talking with Susie about her work, but we're also talking about the struggles we all face to live an authentic life. She shares her experience of discovering her truth and the hurdles and joy she's faced along the way of listening to her inner voice and becoming her truest self. Susie also gives us wonderful feedback on how to bring active allyship to the LGBTQ plus community within our homes so we can be sure we are raising our children to be inclusive and welcoming. It's an honest, intimate conversation, and we're glad you're here to experience it. So first up that we have some rapid fire questions for you. So just call out the first thing that comes to mind. (laughs) Okay. All right. Fill in the blank. Motherhood is a roller coaster. Ooh, I like that one. We've gotten a a lot of people say hard or challenging. And I actually was thinking earlier today, how would I answer that question? And that is exactly what I said, Susie. I I was going to say an emotional (laughs) roller coaster. So yes, yes. Same page. I like it. Cleanest room in your house. Uh, the living room, <laughs> the living room. Living How room. is that possible? Literally it's cleanest, you know, <laughs> so, or this room right now. Yeah. <laughs> what is bringing your life sanity right now? Laughter. We, we find the laughter. <laughs> and well, and we were just talking before we started recording about how positive you are, no matter what is thrown <laughs> your way, you stay positive. So I love, oh, I love that about you. Okay. What do you look for in a mom friend? Oh, that's such a good question. It, someone who is non-judgmental is able to listen and also share, you know, openly. So you don't feel like you're alone. So when you're talking, it's nice when somebody's listening and then also having that time to share back, but really that, that non-judgmental space, because I think we all have been made to believe that we're being judged all the time. (laughs) Absolutely. It's very prevalent in our society. I just want to pause to recognize what you said about someone that's willing to share too, because I don't feel like we say that very often, but it's so important Mm -hmm. that it's a mutual sharing. You don't want to be the person constantly unburdening. You want someone that's willing to share back with you. And I don't think we say that very often. Yeah. 
Good answer. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Best vacation you've ever taken. Oh my goodness. I did a combo Greece and Italy vacation. I had been to Italy before this particular trip, but it was, I think 2006. I did that on my own with one of my best friends and spent some time in Greece, then went back to Italy and it's fantastic. Now, the thing is, is that was not the vacation (laughs) with my wife. I should talk about, and then Anne and I went to Antigua was a great vacation as well Mm, for us. So I would say pre-marriage and then or pre-relationship and relationship. Yeah. It's totally fine to have two answers. I, yeah. <laughs> I, how can you really pick one place? Yeah. Okay. One thing you would like to learn. How to speak Spanish. Ooh, like it. Do you speak any other languages? A very minimal amount of Italian and, and a very minimal amount of Spanish. Really from being in the classroom, it's helped me understand. I can understand a tiny bit more than I can speak, but it's just awful. And I really feel like it is a skill that I really wish I would, would have learned and maybe still can. (laughs) Agreed. I, my husband is pretty fluent in Spanish. I wish that I could have picked up on it more, but what do you like to do on a Friday night? (laughs) Go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Again, adulting Um, hard. (laughs) Adulting 40 year old person right here. You know, Friday nights actually are really our takeout night. We tend to cook a lot during the week. And when we get to that Friday, it's usually at the, at home, you know, at least in this past year, but really Friday night has been a symbol of maybe the kids are outside and we get takeout. And now we've actually started, both kids are a little bit older doing a movie night with popcorn on the couch and then bedtime. So it's more of when I say go to bed, it's more relaxing and just going a little bit, you know, slower. Although we've all generally been a little slower in our family this year, which is good, but yeah, that's Friday night. (laughs) I feel like it's necessary to slow down after the week. I I don't know how way back when used to go out on a Friday night. (laughs) Oh, I have no idea. We didn't only go out. We went out at like 11. (laughs) Right. Yes. When I used to work at, at bars, even, you know, one going out and two, I used to teach all day. So I would get up. This is my Friday, Friday. I would get up about five, five 30 go teach all day, come home. I'd have an hour and a half in between. I'd go into my shift and then I'd work till 3 a.m. So I'd be up for about 22 to 23 hours on a Friday. So then Saturdays I slept. So those were my Fridays, like either going out if I was off or working. And so I welcome these slower Fridays. Yeah. I know my mouth is open. I was like, close it, close it. I love it. (laughs) What are you reading or watching right now? So reading, it's not just one thing, uh, one, because I enjoy it. And two, it's my job. I just am continually doing research for the, you know, DEI space. And, you know, I've got plenty of books <laughs> sitting and waiting for me, but that's what I'm reading. I read multiple studies today and articles and watching, you know, part of that unwinding for me, it's hard for me to watch something super heavy or intellectual at night, even though there's so much good stuff out there. I am embarrassed, but not really about how many times I have watched Schitt's Creek and I'm now rewatching New Girl and I'm missing my office and Parks and Rec. So like I'm into a comedy situation. I don't think you should be embarrassed. I think you've like hit every single one of the the (laughs) major. New Girl. Yeah. (laughs) That's like a laugh out loud, air laugh. Mm -hmm. Love it. I love that one. At least you didn't say like SpongeBob SquarePants or something. I'd be like, Susie, <laughs> no, we need to talk. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I, yes, no, that's not it. We just started watching with the kids, though, uh, Waffles and Waffle and Mochi. 
on Netflix. It's really adorable. It's educational. It's um, Michelle Obama's involved in it. So it's, it's great. It's safe. It's, you know, it's fantastic. So awesome. I will say that's the kid version of what we're watching right now. I just wrote that down. Awesome. Okay. Last. And I think most interesting question, how do you picture your empty nest days? Oh, you know, we've actually talked about this. Um, Ann and I, who's my wife, it changes, but we, we imagine a property somewhere, probably in the mountains, potentially, I don't think permanently at the beach, but we see land, you know, to do some gardening, to grow some food. We have this dream of rescuing more animals because <laughs> um, we just have, a, we not just have, we have an amazing dog who's a rescue, but really giving a beautiful home and <laughs> place to some animals and me making some art still, you know, in those days and just her and I spending time together outside, learning, creating, traveling, things like that. But the, the home base we think is within nature. That sounds lovely. Noah, my partner and I, we've talked frequently about a mountain house and have, have been looking and I'm totally with you there mm. with the yeah. nature and having some land and just an escape. It sounds very yes. nice. I don't know if I want to wait. I don't know if I want to wait that long until I retire. I know. <laughs> I know. Right. There's something about nature. I actually am going to post about something about that be- this week because it just brings some sort of a settled feeling inside. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Well, Susie, you are a wife, a mother, an activist, an influencer, oh. and an artist. <laughs> Sorry. Artist. Well, thank you. <laughs> So you're a writer, and we'd love to hear about your process when you're in your zone and you're you're painting and uh, creating your art. What is it that you hope your art conveys to the world? Well, thank you for all those lovely things. I laughed at influencer (laughs) because I don't think of myself as one of those, but thank you. And the artistic side, you know, the process is it's soothing for me. I get really lost in it. It can mainly it's very relaxing for me. Sometimes it's quite intense, but that intensity is necessary. And, you know, I work with a lot of liquid materials, so I'm manipulating things in a way that, you know, puddles and edges, and I don't actually use a lot of brushes at all. Actually. Um, it's very rare that I pick up a brush in, for my paintings. I mainly use my hands and some alternate tools like a palette knives or offset spatulas. I mean, I use all kinds of different things and what I hope within the process of creating, and then people see the work is that you can take a moment away from your noise. And this is in my artist statement because my, my work, does not have any recognizable imagery in it. It's a lot about based from nature. That's my interpretation of components of nature and how I put that in the work. But because there aren't any images, your brain can't immediately associate with something. And so when you're with the work, you know, I want people to think, well, what is that? Or what does it remind me of? Or how does it make me feel? How am I responding to these colors or textures? And what inevitably happens, or my goal is, is that you're not thinking about what's for dinner or how many emails you have to answer, or, you know, maybe who's, you know, in all seriousness, who's, who's ill, you know, or what's, what the heavy things are, what the light things are. And you just have this moment of just being like engaged with this work. And so it does that for me. And so if generally I don't get some kind of that feeling, you know, during the process or when it's finished, no one will ever see it. Like I I don't put it out unless I feel that way about it. 
myself. How do you know when to put it out? It's just a feeling inside that you have? Yeah. Yeah. It, and so it, I love that question because a lot of people ask it and I wish I had a better answer. It is, it is a feeling I have inside. Something will just bother me. I feel, you know, that unsettled feeling you get just with things. I have that and, and it goes away when I know it's, it's ready. And sometimes that can be very quick. It depends on the process and the piece and all the different there's so many different factors in finishing a piece for me, but that general, oh, I think this is at a place I'm, I'm good to do my finishing touches. Um, that can be, like I said, very quick or it can take months. I mean, I have pieces, sometimes I start, if I'm not feeling super connected to it, I put it away, I'll take it back out. And usually I give a shelf life, usually it's in a drawer. So drawer life to a piece for about six months to a year. If I'm, if I'm, and after that time, if I'm not if I still can't get that resolution feeling of like, this is something I'm proud of or something I feel like is engaging, then it's never seen. I found that fascinating <laughs> because so often we lose touch with that part of ourselves mm -hmm. to listen to that voice inside of us. That is our innate self mm -hmm. talking to mm -hmm. us. And a big part at what we do at Her Health Collective is encouraging our moms to stay in touch with their creative side and getting in touch with that voice mm -hmm. inside of us. Because it's so easy as we get older and we start to have kids and we have our jobs, we have our partners and just the busyness of day-to-day -day living distracts us. How do you keep your creative juices flowing? Well, you know... <laughs> Those are all such good points. And you all know that the audience may not that I have a public education background, but I have taught for over a decade adults as well on this notion of, you know, let's take some time out. Let's learn something. Let's have fun. Let's tap into that creative side and nurture that a little bit. So you're absolutely correct. And it doesn't have to always be this big thing of, I have to know how to do this, or the end product's supposed to look like that. You know, my big message is to practice without penalty. So kind of what you're saying, when did we, like, when do we have time? When, when did we stop playing? You know, we, we have this thing, especially with artistic things and creative things that it has to be the right thing. The person has to look like the person if I draw or paint it, or the flower has to look like the flower if I am drawing or painting it or whatever it may be. And that's really simply not the case. You know, it depends on what space you're in, but most of us, you know, I'm, I am a professional artist, so I'm, I'm not within this, the general space, but the general space is you want to do something, you want to try it, but we get too afraid. So that's kind of a message of practice without penalizing yourself, being kind. And literally you could just pick up a pen or pencil and just start what we call doodling, but just start thinking about how your hand moves with a line and press hard and pull up and, you know, on it and like the pen or pencil and see what happens. And uh, I know you two have been through that process with me, but it's, it's really, it's lovely to see, but I really do encourage people to give themselves the time and the space and the kindness to go ahead and do something creative. That could be music, writing, performing, you know, any of those things. I am a visual artist, so that's where I go. And I don't even know if I answered your question, but <laughs> I just wanted to mention that of, you know, I understand the creative space and being in it can be hard, you know, and get to the point really of how do I keep that going? I mean, in all honesty, I have ebbs and flows, you know, people can see professional artists and it's, you always have work or it's always, you have a show or you have, I have not created a lot in the past five, six months. I mean, really it's been very minimal um, work and 
that's so many factors in it. So I am learning also to give myself that space and time and kindness because I also have a business to run, you know, and I have rent to pay on a studio and there's all those things I kind of get in my creative way. So when I'm finding I need that help, I just try to pare down the noise and just start working. So for me, and this is the process I'm in right now, I just started, oh, I don't know, four to six, like really small paintings last week. And I, and I gave myself a time limit each layer of what I was doing took me no more than five minutes. I don't know what's going to happen to them. I could layer on top. I'm probably going to cut them up, play with them and just experiment. And so I think when people are getting caught up on like, where's my energy? I'm not, I'm not inspired. I don't have this find something that's attainable and do that. And so that's part of my practice. It could be, you give yourself a challenge every single night at 7 PM. I'm taking a picture of the sky, no matter what it looks like and find the colors in that or find different textures in that, or you're going to go through your closet and just pull out 10 different shirts or five different shirts or two different shirts. Not everybody has 10 shirts, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, acknowledging that, but, and looking at the different fabrics, you know, there's ways, especially if you're a visual person, what are colors, what are textures, what are scenes, you know, revisit the same tree every day for, and take a picture in different places. Or I say picture, because it's so easy to die, like take things, you know, and, and keep them visually. Now that's kind of some things that help me. Something that was fascinating is how you mentioned all of these different ideas of being creative. You didn't keep it in this little box, which is what I mm -hmm. think people do. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm not, I'm not drawing or I'm not painting, but creativity and getting into that space is so much more. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think the key word you said was experiment. That was what immediately stuck out to me is we get in this, this headspace of this is what it means to be creative. And this is what it means to do art. But we have to be willing to experiment because there are so many mediums out there that I may know nothing about, but if I give my, uh, myself a chance to try it, mm -hmm. it could really speak to me and I could really have a lot of fun with it. Um, right. So I think we have to be willing to let ourselves experiment. And I, I just loved that word usage in this mm -hmm. context. Thanks. And that's how I've really designed my workshops. You know, I do a lot of level one, you know, come intro workshops and very rarely actually do I do level two or three. I may do that in the future, but I love that space. Exactly what you're saying. Just come, just give yourself some time experiment, play, and have some fun with it. And you're so good at it too. Uh, we we, did, <laughs> well, we did a class with Susie and we did, we played with the pressure of the, the pencil and it really, it was very meditative and I mean, mm -hmm. relaxing. So it, it is fun to do. Now, in addition to being the fabulous artist that you are, <laughs> you are also recently took on the role as a senior consultant at the diversity movement. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about the critical work that you are doing there and, and what that entails? Yes. Oh, I am so excited to shout it from every platform possible. So thank you um, that I am part of the diversity movement. Now we are based out of Raleigh. However, we work nationally, internationally um, and beyond. Um, and so my role there is really it. it I always say it's client facing, but I, we all do a lot of things, you know, there we're a staff of under 20, um, a team of under 20. Uh, so we're kind of in the startup phase, but really reaching beyond that. And which is really lovely in the diversity, equity, inclusion space and things that we do, especially on my smaller team, we do a lot of trainings. So live trainings and sessions with um, people businesses were mainly business focused. However, we work with many different groups, unconscious bias, inclusive language, understanding what diversity, equity, and inclusion really means. And how do we 
break down all these barriers to really going on that journey. And so, you know, we also do a ton of data collection. We, we go in and assess organizations, where are they at as an organization from the C-suite to board level to employees. And we do data reports, insight reports on that. We provide goals, goals and goal setting. And so we have this, that's only one part. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, a lot of what I'm doing um, discussion sessions, things like listening sessions, um, privilege walks. I just I just did one publicly last week, which I can talk a little bit more about if that comes up. But just really wonderful, impactful work. And so my role is really people facing, which you know me. I love people. I like to talk, <laughs> so that's perfect for me. And then we also have a ton of e-learning. I mean, we have courses and certifications. So there's things called Beyond the Checkbox, which is an you know, overall course on DEI. So if you prefer e-learning and not a live session, we have an overview course of you know, DEI. So there's extensive overview, the unconscious bias, the inclusive language. And I'm very excited that on the e-learning side, we are going to be releasing very soon one of the first around disability inclusion courses. What we do is we, we want to help. And we will help you in any way that we can, from custom workshops to any kind of combination of all these things. And then there's more. I mean, we have a community, uh, an online community that you can join. And there's articles and interaction. You have access to us as the experts. We have an app that you can track your DEI journey <laughs> through activities. And so um, that's a long answer. What does my work entail? I mean, it's so much. And we're all really... We have roles, but we're all in it together. And so content creation and supporting each other with new ideas and speaking events and things like that. So, oh, I'm so excited to be there. And you all have known I've, I've been working so much and yes, so hard um, over really the last five years, specifically in LGBTQ inclusiveness and had my own company and built that. And it was just the right time and right fit for me to go with a larger team. And I could not be more excited because I, I have the ability to do the work on now a much larger scale with a team. And I wanted that, you know, not everybody in the entrepreneurship world wants that, you know, I built a business and, you know, that decision and it still exists, but, oh, it's just, yes. I can just yeah. read the excitement oh, so and passion yes. off of you. And yes. I, it's beautiful to see it. Thank it's you. wonderful. And it is we're, such a We're all fit. like this. <laughs> if you talk I mean, to anybody from the team, we're all like this. You'd, you'd be here recording us for 24 hours, I'm sure. Yeah. A quick question about the, yes. the e-courses. Are mm -hmm. those designed just for businesses and employees or is it for anybody? That's a fantastic question. Anybody can take them. You can go on the website, thediversitymovement.com, and you can go to um, learning courses, and it will show you. And as soon as, and we are going to be creating so many more, of course, in, in the months and years to come. But yes, and, and there's different price points and things like that as well. And so it's, they're there. They're fantastic. That's awesome. That's yeah. That's fantastic. Now, I know you, you're a former teacher. Mm -hmm. And as a former teacher myself, I, I have, I, I sense and feel all the emotions that you must be feeling about this, mm -hmm. but you recently left teaching to go yes. and join the diversity movement. So are you happy with the shift? Do you miss teaching? I, I love that question. I am very happy with the shift. It was coming. I didn't necessarily expect it this soon, but I also did, you know, and, and 
so everyone out there is not confused. So I have been teaching, it was 18 years, almost 18 years while building my art business, while building the consulting business. So I mean, it was all happening. Many all hats, this time. amazing woman. <laughs> we, we all have them. Uh, those were just mine. And so, yes, this opportunity came up and, you know, there was a lot of questions, you know, about the career of teaching I knew I would be leaving within the next two years. I'll say that I had given myself once I hit 20 years, I was going to be done. And I didn't quite know what was next consulting full-time, hopefully, and then running the art business. And so I'm doing that. It's two year, about a year and a half earlier and I am consulting full-time. And so it's just not that, that business at the time. And so, you know, something through COVID that I needed was to slow down, was to focus and, it became extremely apparent over the last year that that doing this impact work is exactly what I wanted to do and I, I meant to do at this time in my life and hopefully for many, many, many years. And so when this came up, I, I looked at my wife, I mean, I, I said, I think, I think this is going to happen. And we just looked at each other and I said, I don't want to wait anymore. She said, don't wait. Because there have been other times throughout the 18 years where I've been offered a job, I mean, I've been to the place where I've been offered things and I've turned them down or interviewed many times. And it's not because anything was really wrong. I was just, I used the word resolved a lot. I was resolved. I'd reached my national board certification. That was a goal. And I had renewed it <laughs> once, you know, I had held amazing, wonderful leadership positions. I had developed two massive programs, not all on my own, but, but as one of two leaders on each of these things throughout the years, you know, and so I felt like I, I hit the ceiling as well. And so I wanted to go that way, right? You know, like it, there was nothing now emotionally, <laughs> it is very hard at times. Do I miss the students? Yes. Do I still get DMs from them? Yes. So <laughs> I'm still, they, they found me on Instagram, which is great. I told them to. So I'm still very connected. And I think actually through my studio, maybe I can offer teen workshops now because I was at the high school level and I was never able to because it was a conflict of interest with, with the district. So I actually see a way to still feel connected to the art education that I had done for so long. And that's going to take time because I still need to separate those emotions. I mean, I was at the same school for my entire career. So I walked in at 22 and I walked out at 40, you know, not walked out, but you know, I, I left at 40 and I, every, my whole adult life has been there. I also met my, my wife at school. She used to be a teacher. So there's, it's more than just that the classroom and the students, it was the program and my colleagues and what the school has meant to us as a family. And so that was a huge de decision to make <laughs> during a pandemic. Um, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of moms face decisions when it comes to career, whether it's the decision to stay at home or maybe they've been at home and they're going back to a career or perhaps they're in a career that doesn't fulfill them and make mm -hmm. them happy anymore. And they, they wrestle with what do I do? I feel like I'm, I want something more. I have talked to so many mom friends in that boat and you did, you took the leap and made the change for something that you felt was needed. Do you have any words of wisdom or oh, advice there? Some, and I think we could revisit this maybe in six months. <laughs> I'm a couple months out. I'm not even two months, full months out, but you know, I want to ask everybody as, as strong and convicted as I am, which many people know, I want everybody else. Should I do this? What do you think? 
How should, you know, and really what I needed to do, which wound up happening is I just needed to do when I talk about my art, I had to silence all of that noise. What really meant the most to me was what my wife and I felt for our family was correct. And then she has always told me, you know, and I hope whether you have a partner or not, you know, it was listen to your gut. Like when you can take that time to be silent, to really think about things, what is it instantly that you want to do? Forget about all the messes that may, may need to be cleaned up or things you have to take care of. What is it? And I said, I want to do it. And I want to do this now. That's the answer. So my advice would be to take time for yourself, consult with the people that you feel your decision may affect the most, you know, um, take that into account, but we do need to be happy. And again, there is nothing wrong with the school or the children or my, my colleagues or any administration. I had the best of the best. And I always said, if I was teaching, I would be at that school. And I held that promise to myself and to them, you know, and advice to others of, I just knew it was time and I would 100% regret not trying this, not going and not doing. And um, it's not always that, it's not that simple, right? I mean, there were many tears. <laughs> there were many sleepless nights. There were many days I couldn't even eat something. You know, it was like all of that. And then I would stand in the classroom and go, I got to clean this 18 years of stuff up, <laughs> you know? And so I understand that. Listen, listen to yourself. That's such beautiful advice. Yeah. There's so much of life today it, it just forces us to put up a screen and to, to live almost in a facade for fear of judgment, mm -hmm. criticism from other people. And it causes many of us to never truly show our authentic selves to the mm -hmm. world around us, to never take advantage of opportunities that may be put forward for us that we, we just don't do for those fears. Uh, one of the things that you do is you often talk about the need to live an authentic life. And mm -hmm. you've spoken a few times already about your wife, Anne, your face mm -hmm. lights up when you talk about her. <laughs> and so there's, there's several things that I'd, I'd like for you to talk about now, if you're sure. willing, mm -hmm. one of which is you've courageously shared your story of coming out through various speaking events. Would you be willing to share a bit of your story with us, as well as any type of advice that you have for listeners who would like to approach a life more authentically. You've answered that a little bit, but diving a little deeper. Right. Well, of course. And, you know, I decided to start telling my story because I think it can help. You know, I don't think that I'm different at all, you know, than so many people, there's common themes in this, in the story. And I'll give you a kind of a quick overview of the story. So, and then I'll answer about living an authentic life. I met my wife at school. We were both teaching and, um, you know, it was, there was a lot of backstory there, but, you know, we started dating, fell in love. And the thing is I was in my late twenties. I had never dated a woman before. I do think that my sexuality was quite fluid and I didn't understand that. I grew up in a time in the 80s, you know, 80s, 90s kid where there were things around, but not amazing portrayals of the LGBTQ community at the time. And I also was in a house that didn't talk about it. And, and I don't really fault anybody for that. My family, nobody, it just wasn't a subject, right? That was talked about in many homes and um, at least around me. And so, you know, when this 
happened, uh, I was excited. I was in love for the really true love for the first time. I felt very safe. I felt the most like myself I ever had been, you know, and, and I think that's going back to the not understanding who I was. I, I was putting up these facades of who I thought people wanted me to be, you know, what I thought people wanted me to wear, like all these things. And that just kind of released with her, you know, and she also really helped me understand the example of what my days could be filled with other than what I was filling them with, (laughs) which wasn't very fulfilling, um, I can say at the time. And so that's some of where the attraction came as well. But we were together and then it was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to tell people um, because this is going to be a big shock to a lot of people. And what happened is that I was actually outed by somebody super close to me to other people very close to me. And so mainly family. And so I had some family, very supportive, some not many years later, we're all in each other's lives. Things are much, much better. And I'm very lucky for that because that does not happen. Um, And honestly, at the time, I didn't think that was even going to be possible with what really occurred at the time. Um, But outed, being outed means that your sexual orientation and or gender identity is disclosed without your consent. And that is quite traumatic. Um, There was a series of events in a very short time that occurred. And I was diagnosed with PTSD, anxiety, and depression um, from those events. And I sought out mental health support. I had a great community around me. I did have some family um, quite supportive uh, immediately and, and kind of came to the support of me and Anne. And then Anne, you know, and we were together and staying together and fought really, really, really fought for each other in our relationship. That's a really quick version of it. Um, there's so much more to it, but I think the context of, you know, listeners understanding what outing means, you know, and then co- coming out, you know, one, you have to, it's a two-step process. You've got to, you're coming out to yourself, right? And loving, accepting yourself. And I really had a lot to think about. I wasn't upset about my relationship. I was happy. I knew I was fine, but I just had to process and I wasn't given that time or space. And then the second step is willingly sharing with others. And so that was taken from me in one area of my life. Many others, I I could come out and it was, that was fine, you know, and then it's ongoing. That's my other teaching point coming out to an ongoing process all the time. I just came out to anybody who's listening and they don't know me. Right. So it's just ongoing and you don't know if you're safe. You don't know if you're supported, but that's, those are some learning points I want people to hear from the story. And then also from the story and leading into the second part of the question, you know, people I'm sure have felt disappointed by loved ones in their life. They felt abandoned. They felt low in their mental health. They felt like they questioned every single thing they've ever done or said because your existence could be erased. You know, you've, you've felt alone. I mean, there's so many things and these are heavy things. You can also feel very loved and very grounded and, and convicted in who you are and what you're doing. Sometimes that's, you know that, but it's hard to get out. So there's these, these multifaceted things about like what keeps us from living that authentic life. Most of the time it is fear. Most of the time it's fear because of what everything and everyone around us will think, will feel what we're pre-programmed for. Part of the the understanding about bias as well, and it directly correlates to this authenticity piece, is that we all have bias. Like, I love when we're all like, well, I'm not biased. You know, no, we like, seriously, we all are, because guess what? Our brain is made that way. We're getting millions and millions and millions of pieces of information a second, and we can like, digest maybe about 40 
that's where our assumptions come in. That's where our biases come in. So we want to recognize those. But why am I talking about bias? Because the fear of being authentic, it's because we're worried the bias that comes back or the judgment that comes back. And it could be as simple as your authentic part of you that you haven't shown is that you want pink hair, but you're not sure how pink hair is going to go on the Zoom call with your clients. You know, it could be then the career. I've been a, I've been a teacher for 18 years, it defined a lot of my life. I mean, using me as an example, you know, that doesn't, again, I'm no, no better, different, whatever. I'm just using this as an example. Like, what are people going to think? And I will tell you, I, one of my, I shouldn't do this is because of how it was going to affect everyone else around me. And I will tell you, once I disclosed that to people close to me, they said, we would have been really upset with you. Those are good friends, by the way, <laughs> because I don't want to ruffle, right? I, I don't not, I don't like that. So the, the how do you and why does it not happen is generally because of fear. And is it easy? No, I actually think living your authentic self is one of the hardest things. And it is, it can be scary and you're going to have hiccups. Not everybody wants to hear me talk. You know, not everybody wants to hear the story. Not everybody agrees with my definitions of things. I have just learned to release a lot of that. And I absolutely will admit, and, and my wife will hold me accountable as well. I struggle with that at times too, you know, and when I, again, silence the noise and I just take time with myself, I absolutely know that me being this version of me, which is me (laughs) and you get me and get to know me, it has been the most rewarding and fulfilling part of my life. And it's, I, and, and businesses, it's like, I talk about my work. My work is what it is. I used to make artwork that was all realistic. It's not finished. It's in drawers. I will never show it to anybody because I thought that's the work people wanted to see because I was the teacher. Oh, if she can't do images, does that mean she's not a good, what is that? Where did that come from up here? That's like imposter syndrome too, right? So it just, it can get, things like that can get in the way. And when you start resolving, I just uh, spoke for creative mornings a couple of weeks ago and the theme is ripple. And basically my themes under ripple were authenticity and resolution. And so the, the points in time where I have resolved things and let go, I, I, I have resolved a lot of that hurt and anger from what occurred in the story that made room for creative thought, more love, you know, more relationships with people and community. Like the, the resolution part for me has helped me live my authentic life. That may not work for other people, but my advice as you're asking, what has worked? What could you say to people? It's okay to have the fear and recognize them and like even write them down. Why are you so afraid? And don't be ashamed of those, just hold them. Because then we get the fears and then we're ashamed of them. And then the what, what is not resolved because that's taking up a lot of space. Like I had... And, and it comes up, I have a lot of, I had a lot of anger. I'm not, I mean, you know me, I'm not an angry person um, by nature, but I was very angry. I was very hurt. I, I carry trauma. I will carry trauma for the rest of my life, but I've resolved and I've learned to manage. So what can you resolve? What can you manage in a good way? We don't want to sweep aside or under the rug, but what are tools you can gain? And then also who is around you and what are you consuming? So I talk about consumption a lot. Um, and this is a great point really that Anne brought to my attention and like we've talked about a lot. And so I really want to give her a, so much credit for me being able to even talk about that. 
who are you following on social media? And, and I know it's like social media, Susie, come on. No, 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 Because then sometimes we mimic what their authentic life is. So, and what they are saying. And sometimes it's really great and it's super helpful. <laughs> I mean, we all know people that I'm like, oh, this has been so helpful, <laughs> right? I need this person and their account or whatever it is, but be very mindful. Last night, I just did a sweep. I unfollowed probably 50 accounts. Who are you following? Why are you following them? What are you gaining towards your authentic self? What are you learning in your DEI journey or your professional journey, your entrepreneurship journey, whatever it may be, your creative, anything. So consumption's huge um, and who's around you. And so I was saying at that time when I was like, oh, Anne showed me so much about my day and what I could do, you know, I was in that bar life. Honestly, I was working really hard. Obviously that's hard. I'm teaching all day. I'm working all night. I was making great money. I was in my twenties, you know, and I own my own home. I own my own car. Like I traveled. That's how I did that trip to Greece. You know, it was great. But I also got very caught up in then sleeping all day on Saturdays, going out on Saturday nights, having cash. To, and it was like, what am I doing? And now I am still friends with many of those people. And I hope they hear them and hear this and know that I love them. And those friendships lasted because guess what? Those were the friends also that picked up the pieces at the time everything else happened in my story. Many of those people from the bar or the restaurant, they were there for us. And so they deserve acknowledgement. But the general life I was living was not fulfilling. And I recognized not the, the close knit people I had and still have to this day, the extraneous activities, money I was spending, where I was spending it, who I was. I was like, this does not match what I think or know that I am. So people may think it's all about them, which yes, but it's also like, if you just stop and look like, who are my, who, who are who are the friends? And also if I make a big change or I say something or I do something or I ask of something, who will show up? And you'll find out real fast. I've been very lucky that 95 to 99% of the time we've had people show up for us. So I really hope those are some great tips for people. It is a personal answer, many personal answers to things, but I do hope that helps and something oh, resonates with somebody. Absolutely. You said so many things that resonate you know, and, and just at the very end there, when you were talking about social media and just, I, I think everything you were getting at was speaking to awareness, being yeah. aware of mm. who you are, being aware of what's around you and how people influence you and impact you. And it's easy to get into a rhythm in life and just kind of roll along with how things mm. are going. And you have to have that awareness and that just that ability to stop, pause and look around and ask yourself, is this where I want to be? What is serving me? What is no longer mm -hmm. serving me? Because mm -hmm. it could have served you at one point, but it's no 100%. longer fulfilling that purpose. And yes. I think awareness is just that, that I love that piece of that. Thank you. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So we would love to know if you have any advice for parents that would like to practice active allyship to the LGBTQ community in their home, and also to ensure that they are raising children to be inclusive and welcoming. I know when oh, I yes. speak for myself, I have this fear of my daughter ever being the person out there being mean or a bully right. to someone else. And I have no reason to think that that will be her, but there's a fear there of that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, such a Good, good questions, big questions. I'll give a few little things here. Um, and there is a book coming out called Little Allies by, I think it's Julie Kratz. And if I got her name wrong, I apologize. She's, she's kind of a content partner with us, um, but she has a book coming out soon and she's local. So <laughs> we'll, we'll support her. So specifically for LGBTQ stuff, and it will go a little beyond that for parents. So 
do as much as you can neutrally. So please buy, unless there's, because we've talked about this, I know, unless there's like a really specific interest, you know, but mix up toys, especially toys, books, and even clothing with neutral options. And so, you know, we have a saying in our house, for example, all clothes are for all people. So we really let our children kind of pick what they want. We've had conversation with, with grandparents. We have two boys who knows, you know, they, they are not fully aware of their gender identity yet. I mean, they're, they're coming into it. Right. So we've had conversations with extraneous people. Hey, if you're buying them clothes or toys, like we prefer as neutral of an option as possible, or even go across that barrier and binary. So it's like the blocks, like, why do we have blocks that are red, yellow, and blue? And then usually they're like pink turquoise and lime green. Right. Well, we have both sets, you know, and it's just like these messages. You're like, well, does that make a difference? Bias. Remember we're predisposed for it. <laughs> and so we're getting mass, mass market media that's at consumption. So those are some tips like cross the binary barriers that those things, those entities that of course we can't like take down target, you know, and they're amazing, but like, you know, there's good options and, and like old Navy now has a gender neutral option to shop from for clothes. So six years ago, that did not exist. My, our first business was a gender neutral clothing company. And so, um, which doesn't exist anymore, but yeah. So like gift giving is huge language at home, like all clothes are for all people. You know, we ask, Hey, did you meet any new kids at camp this week? Yes, I did. What, what was their name there? What was his name? What was her name? What was their name? Use they, them, and their as much as you can. I know it's hard. Start rehearsing, start practicing. You know, that kid over there, you know, points, you know, say, oh, that kid over there on the playground hit me or something, you know, hopefully that's them. What's their name? Or, you know, if you see and you look and it seems it may appear by expression, there's a boy over there. We don't know that. Don't make the assumption. What's their name? So the neutrality of terms talking about different kinds of family. And I don't even like to say different kinds of family, all kinds of families. Different is a word that's triggering me <laughs> recently. And again, look at that, that um, kind of awareness. Who are your friends? You know, who are you having play dates with? Like, of course, your diverse underrepresented friends don't want to be your like, go-to person all the time. However, you know, naturally, who's in your circle? Who are you playing with? What are you watching? You know, what are the friends saying? And so, you know, those are some they're very broad and I'm all over the place because there's so many, right? But the neutral language, watch the books. There's plenty of books out there in general on the LGBTQ community and allyship. Sparkle Boy is a pretty good one. There's one out by Jazz Jennings. There's like a bunch of different books, but I, I think for our littlest ones, and I, and I know like Cindy and you, you and I've talked about even that older age group when they're asking questions and, you know, but for the little littles, clothing, books, toys and language points. And then the introduction of, yeah, well, Susie and Anna are married. There's mommy and mama and they've got Miles and Elliot. Like we don't have to have a big conversation about like all certain points of allyship outside of our community and even within. Yes, sometimes you do, but those things earlier on now, as kids get a little older and they're asking more questions, well, what does this mean? Or what does that mean? Or, you know, so-and-so dress is dressing in like boy clothes, but they're a girl, you know, like, cause those questions come up and, and they're going to use binary language for the most part. However, when all of our children are teenagers, all this language most likely will be 
regular language for them, just answering the questions, not shying away. And if you don't know, so you know what, that's a great question. I don't know, but I'm going to find out, reach out to a resource or look, you know, for good resources and answer the questions and try not to get weird (laughs) about those things, but it's uncomfortable, right? Sometimes, but just kind of answer the questions, welcome conversations and start conversations as early as you can, you know, depending on the age bracket of, you know, Hey, I just want, you know, like, if you have any questions about gender and sexuality, you know, let, let me know, we're here to talk to you about it, but you don't have to be that blatant, you know, as you're talking about things, as you are inclusive, maybe you talk about an article you saw or a movie or a show that showed something. And you're like, that's great. You know, what a positive relationship, you know, because what we also want to do, not only to teach them to be allies, we want to make sure that if they are under the LGBTQ umbrella community anywhere, that what you have already done You're trying to train them to be allies, but what if they're part of the community that they feel safe and comfortable enough to come out to you? Because the LGBTQ suicide and self-harm rate is is a statistic that's unchanging and it's, it's scary and dangerous. So all of these practices I said, plus so many more can help on both sides of that, you know, and having conversations about race and, and disability and, you know, language barriers and all these different things are important. A huge thank you to our sponsor and a great friend and supporter of Her Health Collective, Renee Avis. Renee has been such a treasure to both Cindy and I as we navigate mothering daughters. And Renee has just been such a a lifeline in that. Yes, and it's been wonderful getting to know Renee because she's got daughters that are a bit older, like my girls, and we've connected on that. Tutors, body image, electronics, you know, all that stuff. All the things. All the things. Renee is a licensed professional counselor and the founder of the Confident Moms Raising Confident Girls coaching program. Renee is fantastic at helping moms identify and understand the roadblocks that keep them from feeling and being confident. There are so many amazing aspects to Renee's program, but one of my personal favorites is how she guides moms on how to listen to, honor, and take care of our own bodies. Our children, especially our girls, are always watching, and this is such an important piece for moms to tackle, and it's something I'm always thinking about as I know my own daughter is watching me. Absolutely. This has been really helpful for me as I've navigated my own body image issues, as well as our girls coming into the age of being more aware of their bodies. I also love that she teaches moms how to connect with their daughters in authentic ways. Pre-teenhood. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. This is something that can become harder and harder as our daughters get older. Become a member of Confident Moms Raising Confident Girls Facebook group. You can also sign up for a phone call with Renee to see if the Confident Moms Raising Confident Girls coaching program is a fit for you. The link to sign up is included in the show notes. Over the years of being in the classroom, as well as now being a mom Mm -hmm. and a member of the LGBTQ community, have you noticed a shift over the years of this particular generation of students and children are more inclusive and they're mm-hmm. more accepting of this diversity? You know, I, th- I think for the most, the most part I've seen a shift in a positive direction. 
teen, you know, I was with teenagers, so teenagers are going to be teenagers too. I mean, but in general, if it was like, no, I'm like, I go by, you know, my pronouns are they, them. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and it's more like the people that are not in that generation that need to have some more training and education. There is a good trend. I will just say, I think for the most part, even in the workplace, teenagers workplace, sexuality has been held in a more positive place. It's the gender identity that is really facing just tough, horrific things from children to the workplace. And, you know, right now in our state, North Carolina, I mean, we've got this bill, there's two bills on the Senate floor to restrict, you know, healthcare access, you know, any kind of transitional um, medical care for, for transgender youth. I was up, I was very upset this morning um, about this and it's dangerous. It is wrong. And the reason these bills are coming up is because it's, it's, they're making things like this political and it's fear. It's different. It's, and I don't like the word different, but it's, it's different than what people know. It's challenging people and it's not their thing. It's also a sign of privilege. So we really have to pay attention to that. Yes, there's some positive trends, but I really want to be mindful. I have a platform. I'm going to say we have to be aware of what's happening and speak out against that. It's, it, and imagine as a parent, as a child, you're denied exactly who you are. We're talking about authenticity, you know, who you are and you need help. You need support and care. And let me tell you, doctors and service providers, we, they don't take this lightly. I mean, this, there's a process to this. The bills will also require any state employee to out children. I've been fighting against that for five years. And so if a student comes out to me specifically as transgender, I say I was still in the classroom, technically I would have to then, if this passes, we'll have to report that. It outs the student. That's dangerous. So the suicide and self-harm rate will go up if around the country these bills are passing. I have full faith that our governor will veto that, but like Arkansas, then that veto was just over, overridden. So I'm sorry. I just, I got hot. <laughs> it's, we really have to pay attention to these things. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think needs to change in order to truly cre create a more inclusive and safe space in our homes and schools and businesses? In our home school for all, everybody, we really need to listen to each other. We have to listen to each other and really get to know each other. And so um, we often talk about it at TDM and in general, it's out there, but this, this iceberg analogy where you, you've got your water line and you know, there's the tip of the iceberg, it's up here, but generally what we see above the water is a little part in that there's a giant iceberg, like you know, underneath the surface. And what we see here is what we present, what people know. I mean, it's, it's somewhat limited, but what's underneath, it's actually really beautiful. It's complicated. It's amazing. It's all these things. And that's exactly to the point of we can lift these things up and start listening to each other, learning more about each other, combating these fears and biases and these polar things. Then I think there's going to be progress. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. This is jumping topics just a yes, little bit. No, yeah. uh, Her Health Collective is heavily invested in bringing awareness to the gaps in care for mothers mm. during that postpartum period. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the care mothers receive in the U.S., what would you change and why? Oh, that's such a good question. We, we need in the U.S. specifically, I will say all parents because I'm a neutral person, parents, respectful paid time off, home health care. I, I really believe in, I mean, there's many countries that send health care providers to the home and that would be helpful. And, and health care, I mean, not only physical, I think mental health support as well. And 
I, I mean, I guess I was like, we were both lucky enough with our time and, and that we had accrued, but it, it was a stressor. And I think that postpartum period is hard. And men, I mean, many women in the US, they're back four to six weeks later. And th- that's the reality for, and sometimes it's shorter than that because there isn't adequate support financially and, and medically for something else. Yeah, that that paid parental and caregiver leave mm-hmm. is is truly essential. We've had quite a few conversations about that recently mm. with some of our guests. Yeah, so agree with you wholeheartedly. We have a, a serious change that is needed across the board there. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, uh, women are heading back to work and getting into their regular activities, and their bodies haven't even healed, and they need them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not quite on the same thing, but. And it's not much time that was granted, but New Zealand just passed time for bereavement for miscarriages. And it's not much time, but it's something. And I mean, I haven't talked super publicly about it, but I I don't mind. I had two miscarriages and, and my first one in particular, I was, I was back to work after the week at like it had Friday, Saturday, I was, I went back to work and I was sick. I was emotional. I mean, I was, I needed time and it was like, why would we even think about that? So, you know, what an opportunity to just mention that here, one postpartum, but also we have so many of us experience that and we just are not provided the space or time to process. Right. Well, you've talked so much about things that you've overcome in your life and various different hurdles. Right now, what is your biggest struggle currently in your role as a mom? How to provide the best tools for specifically our older child to, to thrive. Yes. He's doing, he's doing great. I I think he's, I mean, he's seven and he's our oldest, so we're not sure what we're navigating, but that's a struggle. We want to make sure we're giving him the best tools to be him because he's, he's, um, unique and wonderful ways. And we celebrate that. And so we want to give him the tools and confidence to celebrate that at all times as well. I most certainly and wholeheartedly agree with you there. It's one of the reasons that Chrissy and I bonded and started her health collective. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that fuels me going forward is making sure that moms have those connections and Mm -hmm. the tools to, to do that for their kids, because I'm in it right now too, with a 10 and an eight year old. So (laughs) Yes. yes. Yeah. All right, Susie, just to wrap us up, kind of pulling from everything we've talked about so far in our time together today, if you could give every mom or parent one piece of advice, what would you tell them? (laughs) Oh, I love these questions. You have good ones. Uh, This is great. One piece of advice, laugh as much as you can. I've missed, I've missed a lot of moments, you know, just one, not understanding how to be present, always working. I like to work building businesses while having little ones, you know, and so um, being present as much as possible. And I'm saying that to also hold myself accountable and give that advice and, and find the laughter and things. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That is so good. <laughs> so good. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you so this much. was so fun. I I'm was. so it was appreciative. Thank you so much, Susie. We've appreciated this. Susie brings passionate energy to every encounter. Did you feel it? We love any moment we can spend with her because we know that it will be honest, open, and sprinkled with teachable moments. Speaking of teachable moments, we've rounded up three of them to share with you now. One, 
The creative process doesn't have to include knowing how to do something or knowing what the end product is supposed to look like. Susie's big message is to practice without penalty. When did we stop playing? As adults, we often enter into creative endeavors with a preconceived notion that it has to be the right thing. For example, the person needs to look like a person or a flower needs to look like a flower. We often get too afraid to try things. Be kind to yourself and practice without penalty. Getting started can be just taking a pen or pencil and begin moving it to feel what it's like while using different pressures on the paper. Susie encourages people to give themselves the space and kindness to get creative in any way they'd like, whether it's through music, writing, performing, drawing. There are numerous mediums that are part of the creative space. It isn't just about painting and drawing. There's an ebb and flow to the creative process. Be willing to experiment, play, and have fun with it. Two, Susie openly shares her story of coming out with her sexuality because she feels that there are several things to highlight through her experience to be used as teaching moments. The definition of being outed is important for people to understand, as well as knowing that it's a two-step process. Being outed means that your sexual orientation and or gender identity is disclosed without your consent. The two-step process consists of, one, you come out to yourself, process through, and learn to love and accept yourself. And two, you willingly come out to other people. The second step was taken from Susie in one important area of her life when she was outed by someone very close to her, by someone else who was also an important person in her life. This was a traumatic experience for her and led to being diagnosed with PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Coming out is an ongoing process and you don't often know if you're safe and supported. Living your authentic self is one of the hardest things and through struggle, Susie has learned to release the outer noise, to listen to her inner voice, to be herself. This is another teaching point she stresses when sharing her coming out story. There are many things that keep us from living our authentic lives. Most of the time, it's fear the fear of what everyone around us will think and feel. It's okay to have fear. Recognizing them, even writing them down. Don't be ashamed of them, just hold them. Recognize what is not resolved because it's taking up a lot of space. The points in time when Susie has resolved and let go of things ultimately made more room for creative thought, more love, and more relationships. She also stresses to take note of who is around you and what information you're consuming. For example, social media. Who are you following and why are you following them? What are you learning about your authentic self from following these individuals? Make sure you're not mimicking their authentic life rather than your own. It can be all summed up as having awareness. What may have been serving you in your life at one time may no longer be serving you. And number three, Susie shared how to create an environment of active allyship in your home and with your children. She recommends two books, Little Allies and Sparkle Boy. Do as much as you can neutrally. For the little ones, mix up toys, books, and even clothing with neutral options. Cross the binary barriers because small messages influence biases. The language used at home is important. For example, saying something like, all clothes are for all people. Use pronouns they, them, and their rather than he, she, him, or her as much as you can. Focus as much as possible on the neutrality of terms. Begin to casually refer to same-sex couples. For the older children who start to ask questions, focus on not shying away and answer honestly. 
When you don't know an answer, then admit that you don't know, but that you'll find out. We want to teach allyship, but also show sensitivity. If the child is anywhere under the LGBTQ umbrella community, the environment that you have set up at home may help them feel safe and comfortable enough to come out to you. When we ask Susie what really needs to change in order to truly create an inclusive and safe space in our homes, schools, and community, she said, quote, we have to listen to each other and really get to know each other. Learning more about each other will help us to combat these biases, end quote. Hi, five friends. We had so much fun with you. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review. We love hearing what you have to say. Until next time, stay true to you.